up like, here we go. We're baptizing 13 people today. Uh, we baptized several in first service. We're baptizing six more this service. So you guys are going to be here for that. It is going to be awesome. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but man, God gave us an amazing day for this. Uh, like we, we pick these days, we pray about them, we're like, we hope it's not raining or something or, you know, 42 degrees, whatever. Uh, but anyway, this is an amazing day. So thank you for being here, whether you're in the room, whether you're online, no matter why you're here, how you're here, we're glad you're here. Uh, so we are in the midst of this series called, very simply, The Table. What we're talking about in this series is defining, we're trying to define, to describe the target for what we're looking for, right? What are we, as followers of Christ, what should we look like? Well, who should we be? What should we do? What should we be about? If we are invited to the table, and that was kind of how we started this series. I started this series a couple of weeks ago by saying every person is invited to the table. Literally every human being is invited. God invites them to the table. He did that through Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. And so every person on the planet is invited by God to join him at the table. Now, the question is whether or not you join him, right? And so as we talk about this series, we're talking about what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like if we're at the table? What do we need to do? What do we need to be? What's the target? What are we shooting for in this church? If you're part of Northridge, what do we want you to become? What does it look like? We're defining that in this series, okay? So that's what this series is all about. So I brought this basketball. You guys have probably already seen it. It's sitting there. You're wondering what's going on, right? Uh, I brought this basketball. Basketball is an interesting game, right? Uh, because it, it has both, it highlights the individual skill of the players, but it also is very much a team sport, right? You cannot play basketball by yourself. You're going to be taken, right? And so it's both an individual and team sport definitely together. Now, why I brought this basketball is, uh, so my three kids have all either played or are playing basketball. I played basketball. A lot of people don't know this. Laura, my wife, played basketball. Uh, you guys have heard my story recently. I've told several stories about my dad. He was a phenomenal basketball player. So basketball kind of runs in our blood. It's probably because we were born in Indiana. We're weird, right? It's okay, right? But, uh, but I brought this basketball because basketball, no matter why you start basketball or how you start basketball, everybody has to start basketball basically the same way. You have to start with the basics. You don't come into basketball learning the inbound plays and learning how to bounce pass or chest pass or even shoot. Everybody has to start basketball with the basic move of basketball, which is this. Right? You might do it once or twice, but then eventually you get to where you get the rhythm down, right? And you bounce the ball and you get this rhythm to where you push the ball hard enough that it comes right back up to your hand. Now, that looks simple, right? That looks like it's intuitive, it's easy. Hmm. Have you ever tried to teach four to six-year-olds how to bounce a basketball? Let me just tell you, humanly, this is not intuitive, right? What I just did... Yes, it's a simple move in basketball, but it's not that simple if you haven't learned it, 
right? It is not a simple move. It's a basic thing to do this. I mean, if you've seen these four to six-year-olds learning how to bounce a basketball in a gymnasium, there's, I've seen a, room, a gym full of like 60 of those kids, and it's like basketball popcorn. They, it is everywhere. They're chasing balls. Kids are running into each other. Concussions. It is awesome. Pure chaos, right? All that to say, that's where it starts, but that's not where you stay with basketball, is it? We don't just learn to dribble with one hand and then that's it. We then move on from there and learn to dribble with both hands and then eventually under the legs and, and then behind the back and then we learn to shoot and then we learn to pass and then we learn to move without the ball, all the different things, right? We grow as basketball players and as a team. Well, the reason I bring that up is because your faith is the same way. Your faith is the exact same way. We start with the basics, but we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to grow in our faith, in our relationship with God, with Jesus. God doesn't want us to just accept him and say, yep, I believe in Jesus, and then that's it. We coast for the rest of our life. God says, okay, now you're at the table. Now let's dig in. Let's do some work here. I want to see what, I want you to see what I can mold and shape you into. It's a growth thing. It's a process. Just like you don't wake up and all of a sudden you know exactly what you're supposed to do in basketball. The same thing is you don't wake up and know what you're supposed to be in terms of your faith. All right, so what do I want to do today? Well, today I want to talk about what it looks like to take next steps in your faith. What does it look like to grow, spiritually speaking? What does it look like to get closer in your relationship with God? So how I want to do that is I want to look at Peter. I want to examine Peter's life today in God's Word. Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Peter. And we're going to kind of take a look at the first moment that he starts faith, and then we're going to look at kind of one of the last moments of his faith, and we're going to see the change in Peter. I would love to walk you through his entire life and show you how Jesus does this with Peter, but we would be here until the Packers play tonight, okay? And I'm sure the people that are getting baptized, they're going to get a little antsy. So we're not going to do that, but I want to start by asking the question, how does your journey of faith start? How does it begin? Well, let's go to Peter's life and take a look. So what I want to do is kind of set up the context. So Peter and Andrew were fishermen. That was like they weren't fishing like on vacation. That was their job. That's how they made money. And so they're out in a boat all night trying to catch fish. And you know how many fish they catch? Zero. They were not good at their job. All right? So they didn't catch any fish. And, and so they've been out all night. They're exhausted. They're tired. And they kind of bring the boat in to the shore of the lake. And, and when they get there, guess what? There's this guy named Jesus who's preaching to this group of people. All right? So they've been out all night. They're exhausted. And Jesus asks, hey, can I use your boat? Push the boat out a little bit so I can preach to the people so they can see me. So Peter's like, oh, okay, sure, of course, of all mornings, right, when I caught no fish. And I've got this random guy preaching from my boat right? And so Jesus is preaching from the boat, and then after Jesus is done speaking, he asks Peter to take the boat out and throw his net out and do some fishing. And Peter at first, and I'm not going to read this, any of this part of the story, but Peter's basically like, uh, so I don't know if you know, but I've been out all night. I caught literally zero fish. I'm tired. I'm done. No, I don't want to do that. And Jesus says, no, I insist. Okay. Peter and Andrew, they take the boat out. They throw the net out. And they make the biggest haul of fish that they've ever seen in their life. It's miraculous. 
Jesus gives them an amazing catch. Then they get back to shore, and I want to read what happens in Matthew chapter 4, 19 and 20. This is what Jesus does. Jesus called out to them, Peter and Andrew, and he says, Come follow me, and I will make you, or I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. It's very interesting that we, as followers of Christ, we sometimes make this way more complicated than it needs to be. Really, very simply, how your journey of faith begins is God invites you to the table and you say yes. God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to make me the most important thing in your life. All you need to do is have faith. You need to trust that I'm real, that I'm there, that I want you, that I'm the best thing that's ever going to happen in your life, and then you're going to commit the rest of your life to follow me. That's all you need to do. God gives us the invitation. He says, come follow me like Jesus did to Peter and Andrew, and guess what they did? They followed him and began their faith journey. They didn't stop there. From there on, they grew. And, and by the way, this happened in a lot of different ways. For Peter and Andrew, this happened cognitively. It's a cognitive decision. It's a logical choice that you have to make. They knew what Jesus said. They knew his words. But then they also knew what it meant they were going to have to leave something behind in order to follow Jesus. A lot of times, people, followers of Christ, they either don't realize this or they do, and that's why they don't choose Jesus, because they don't want to leave what they have to leave in order to follow Christ. Peter and Andrew knew they were leaving their life. Their life was going to change. They didn't only know it on a cognitive level, they knew it on a spiritual level, right? Because they knew this Jesus is somebody worth following. I don't know how many, and we all know this intuitively. Like we know, we don't just normally just go follow. How many of you have had a stranger just walk up to you and say, hey, how you doing? Good. Have you ever had somebody just walk up to you and just like, you're like, Hi. Like, you're kind of close. Right? Have you ever done that? Because you don't know who they are? And then have you had anybody say, hey, come follow me real quick? How many of you are like, cool. Sounds good. Where are we going? How many of you just follow random people if they ask you to? I bet you don't. Neither do I. You know why? Because that's weird. Right? That's just weird. Why would you do that? There was some spiritual faith understanding here from Peter and Andrew that said, this guy is worth following. It's worth leaving my life for. And so they did. And then I want to just kind of make this point because this is important. They not only followed him cognitively and spiritually, but they also had to follow him physically. Sometimes we miss this point. We kind of make everything so spiritual. Yes, that's a big piece. That's important. But can I just tell you that one of the reasons God does what he does inside you is so that this will follow that. Faith requires action. And Peter and Andrew, what does it say in verse 20? It said, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Right? They left their nets and followed him. It said, they left their nets, they left their job, they left their life. Everything at that moment in their life changed. They're no longer going this direction. They're no longer going to fish for fish. They're going to fish for people. They didn't even know what that meant, I'll bet. At that point, they're like, Jesus says, you're going to fish for people. Like, uh, I don't understand. Are we going to use hooks? Because that's going to go badly, right? Like, they didn't know what that meant. We do because we've read the Bible, right? But they didn't know what that meant. And so they're just following Jesus. Now, 
Let me kind of, like I said, I'd love to take you through all of Peter's life for the rest of the day, but we're not, we don't have time for that. So let me just summarize what happened. So Peter joins Jesus on this journey of faith. And so Jesus is very intentional to dig in with, with Peter. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? But then Peter was kind of one of those inner circle guys that Peter kind of picked on a little bit more. You know when you're a teacher and you know the kid that's goofing off in class? You know what teachers do? We all know what teachers do. You call on that kid. Whatever your question is, you call on that kid. You know why? Because you want to remind them you aren't paying attention, and you should be. Right? I've done that. I taught high school. I've done this many times. I did that just about daily. Right? If you're not listening, I'm going to remind you that you should be. Right? But there's another reason why teachers, and it's a much more important and much bigger reason why we call on students, we sometimes call on students, and I did this all the time, I would call on students where I saw great potential in them. And I would ask them to answer a question because I saw in them something that they didn't even see in themselves. Jesus saw something in Peter, and so what happens is Jesus begins to ask Peter questions throughout his life. And you guys know, if you've read the New Testament, Jesus asked Peter a lot of questions. And sometimes Peter gets the answer right, and sometimes Peter gets the answer, oh, so wrong. Like, really wrong. But can I just be honest with you? It didn't matter whether Peter got the answer right or Peter got the answer wrong. You know what mattered? The, what mattered was that he was with Jesus to hear the question and that he actually tried to give an answer. Because can I tell you something? Something we all know. Peter learned from the answers that he got right, but he also learned from the answers that he got wrong. I dare say he maybe learned more from the ones he got wrong. The question is, are you there for God's questions? Or are you ignoring him? Are you just going through life? Who cares about what God is saying, what God is asking? So Jesus asked Peter questions. And then there's a second thing that Jesus did with Peter all the time. Jesus called Peter out. He called Peter out. He asked Peter to step out of his comfort zone. Whatever his safe little bubble was, Jesus would call Peter out of that. This is why Peter got to walk on water. How many, by just raising your hands, how many of you have recently walked on water? Okay, me neither. Right? I know my hand's up, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to lie. I, I'm not either. Right? No, we haven't walked on water. Why? Peter was called out by God to step out of the boat and walk on the water. Jesus called Peter to heal people. Jesus called Peter out to be generous. Jesus called Peter to answer the questions. Jesus called Peter to be generous with his time and to heal people and to dig in and to step out of his comfort zone all the time. Do you know one of the first people to preach when Jesus had already ascended to heaven? The first one to preach, you know who it was? It was Peter. You know why I think it was Peter? It's because Jesus had called on Peter to step out of his comfort zone again and again and again and again. And Peter's like, if Jesus was here, yeah, he'd say me. Okay, I guess I'm preaching. And you know what happens? He steps up and 3,000 people give their life to Jesus that day. Woo, that's a good day. That is a good day. And why was he willing to do that? Why was he able to do that? Because he had gone from just following Jesus, just saying, yes, Jesus, I'm in. He had grown mightily in his life because he had stepped out of his comfort zone so many times. The same is true in basketball. 
right? It's not just like, I learned to do this and then that's it. We have to go on. We have to learn more of the intricacies. We have to get into the depth of the game. We have to learn to dribble, pass, shoot, move without the ball, screen, set blocks, all the different things, box out for the rebound. We need to know how to move without the ball. All of those things are so, so important in basketball, right? But if we just learn this, And we have to keep our eye on the ball. What do your coaches tell you, right? If you're going to learn to dribble, you have to get your eyes up, right? So you can move and without the ball so you can see what's going on. Let me, let me just ask you this. How many of you think it would be really cool if you went to a varsity basketball game at the high school and the point guard came down the floor like that? How's that game going to go for them? It ain't. <laughs> it's going to go badly, right? It's going to be really, really hard game to watch, let me tell you that. Why? But, but why inherently do we know that that's wrong? We don't, we don't show up to a varsity game expecting somebody to walk down the court like that. Why? Because we know that they maybe learned that when they were three or when they were four, but they clearly needed to grow and get better in their game. Right? The same is true for you in our faith. God does not call us just to accept him and believe in him and just blindly walk through life. He says, I need you to take steps with me. I'm taking you somewhere. You're not exactly where you need to be. I'm going to take you to where you need to be, who you need to be, what you need to be. I'm taking you a direction, a target. We're going after this. So I've mentioned this before. If you've been here when I've talked about the home run life, I've talked about this before. But um, we sometimes get stuck in our faith because we think that growing in our faith is the same way that we grow up as humans. Okay? If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this, but it bears repeating because this is one of the most important foundational pieces of your faith. And that is this. When we grow up, humanly speaking, we want to grow everybody in our life from dependence on us to independence, right? Parents, we all know this. Why do you teach your kids to tie their own shoes? Because you don't want to do it for the rest of your life, right? Parents, why do you teach your kids to say please and thank you? Because you know that that's the right thing to do. Parents, why do we teach, like, my two older kids? They know how to do their whole process of laundry, whether or not they do it like they're supposed to, that's a whole nother thing. But they know how to do it. They can do it. They have done it. The entire process of bringing the laundry down, putting it in the machine, knowing the setting, switching it to the laundry. Yep, don't forget the bounce sheet. Oh my goodness, otherwise they're stuck together. Okay, you forgot. Okay, let's peel them off each other, right? And then we pull them out, then we fold them, then you put them away. They can do the whole thing. Why? Because we don't want them leaving our house having no clue how to do laundry. What are we doing? We are moving our children from dependence on mom and dad to independence. That's normal, natural. That's how we grow up as human beings. That's how it's supposed to work. But can I tell you that if you're trying to grow your faith that way, you're never going to make it. You will never make it. If you're trying to grow from dependence to independence in your faith, you will never get there. You know why? Because you're going the wrong direction. You're, you're literally going in the wrong direction. You know what faith works like? You know how it works? Faith is moving from independence 
to dependence on God. It's completely different. God says, I need you to set down your control. I need to set down your life. You need to surrender who you are. You need to set aside what you want to do, and I'm going to show you something even better. And God knows because he created you. He knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. The Bible says this. And so we grow from dependent or independence to dependence in terms of our faith which is exactly opposite of how we grow up, humanly speaking. That's why we get stuck. God says, I need you to learn to create uh, more trust and surrender more often. Now, here's the question that I have. If you're going to grow in your faith, why is that important? Right? You might be asking, well, can't I just believe in Jesus? Can't I just say, yep, Jesus, I'm in. Pray the prayer. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Uh, cross, rising from the... Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yay, I'm saved. And then that's all you have to do. And some of us might say, well, where is that going? Why is that important? Well, here's why. Because God is creating you a new life. He's creating in you a new identity, a new being, a new creation, a new life that the Bible talks about all the time. God is designing who you are supposed to be, but we, it takes us walking in faith with him. Right? It's a process. So let me take you back and kind of illustrate this with Peter's life one more time. So let's go all the way to the end of Peter's life. This is one of the last things. What I'm about to read is one of the last things that we learn about Peter uh, in his life. And so he's walked with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. Now he ascended to heaven. So Jesus is no longer physically there, right? His presence is there. The Holy Spirit is there. God's, obviously, presence is there. But Jesus is physically ascended to heaven. And so now we go to Peter's life, and God comes to Peter in a vision, and I won't get into all the details because there's a lot. This is a whole other sermon. But essentially, God tells Peter, I want you to go to this guy's house. His name is Cornelius, and he has a whole family, and they need to know Jesus. Basically, that's the gist. Okay? And so he has this vision. Peter knows, and, and there's a messenger, actually, that, and God told Cornelius to send for this guy. So this is happening at the same time, right? Peter's having the vision. God tells Cornelius to send the messengers. The messengers come and say, hey, Peter, you're supposed to come to this guy's house named Cornelius. He lives in this other town. And Peter says, mm-hmm, I know. God already told me in a vision. Okay, and then Peter goes there with a few other disciples. And this is why this is a big deal. Peter is a Jewish man. Cornelius and his family are what the Bible calls Gentiles, which is non-Jewish people. Jews... And Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they didn't do life together back then. Yes, it was a racist bias thing, very much so. They didn't do life together. They hated each other. They avoided each other. Jewish people did not go into Gentile homes. Jewish people did not eat any meals with Gentile people, non-Jewish people. Gentiles did not go into Jewish homes. Gentiles did not. It, it was kind of the same thing, right? They did not intermingle. They did not mix together. They stayed very much separate. And now God is asking Peter not only to interact with them, but to go into their home to share a meal with them, which was taboo. It was forbidden in this culture. But Peter listens to God, and he goes to this house, and he shares the good news of Jesus with them. And you know what happens? Cornelius and his entire family accepts Christ. 
They all accept Jesus. They all give their life to Jesus. They all commit their life to Jesus in that moment. And then something really cool happens. The Bible records that, that what happens is Peter and these disciples are there, and Cornelius and his whole family, they all give their life to Jesus. And then God's presence, the Holy Spirit, literally descends down into the room, onto the family, letting them know that Jesus, God, is blessing this commitment. They can physically, I don't know, the Bible doesn't ex describe exactly what it looked like, but they literally could see the Holy Spirit come into that place. Wouldn't that be cool, by the way? That'd just be awesome, and you, could, you would just be able to feel it. And then I want to read what Peter says in that moment. It's really, really cool. And it demonstrates what happened with Peter in his life because he was walking with Jesus. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is a big deal. What Peter is saying is, Peter is saying, I am hearing clearly from God in this moment. I am seeing through God's eyes. What I see now is I am going to set my culture aside. My culture says I shouldn't do this. I am going to set tradition aside. Tradition says I shouldn't do this. Everybody around me says I shouldn't even be in the house with you. I should not be sharing a meal with you. That God has not died. Jesus did not die for you. He just died for the Jewish people. Everybody's telling me this. But what Peter just said is, he says, that's not true. What I have just witnessed is God, Jesus, died for every person, every person in every nation, as long as they say, I fear you, I respect you, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to obey what you say. Peter says, I am seeing clearly now how God sees this. Can I just be honest? One of the biggest reasons that you cannot stay the same in your faith is because God wants to give you new eyes. Not physically. That would be more painful. But spiritually. He wants to change how you view yourself. He wants to change how you view the people in your life. He wants to change how you view the earth, how you view culture, how you view a pandemic, how you view masks, how you view all that. God wants to change your view, how you see things. This is why this last year that I don't see my dad as being the very last day that I'll ever see him. That's why when Jenny passed suddenly, tragically, I know that's not the last moment that we're ever going to have. I know that those things, those are, that's not what's going to happen. I know that. And you know why I know that? It's not because I physically can see them differently. It's because I see them differently spiritually. This might freak you out, but some of you haven't seen God and haven't seen the Holy Spirit and haven't experienced the vision that that looks like in that way. And it's because you have not been walking with him. You haven't gotten past the dribble. God wants to change how you view things. 
He wants to change how you see people, how you think about people, how you experience people. If you start seeing people in terms of eternity, it will change how you treat them and what you think about them. Peter says, I very clearly see this. And why did he see that? It's because Jesus, he had been walking with Jesus enough that he had grown, he had learned to trust Jesus when he spoke. When Jesus said, you need to go into this household that you aren't supposed to go into, the rest of the culture says don't go in there, you need to do it. So I want to share with you about, uh, you guys have heard of bald eagles, right? It's our national bird, so I'm sure you've heard of the bald eagle, right? I want to talk about the bald eagle for just a minute because it illustrates this very, very powerfully. So the bald eagle is a really cool bird. If you look at this picture, this picture doesn't quite do it justice, but uh, an eagle's nest is amazing. It is huge. If you kind of see the perspective, a, a, an eagle's wings stretches out anywhere from six to seven-ish feet wide in wingspan when they stretch out fully. That's quite a bit longer than I am, right? Tall. Like, that's just, just crazy. I'm almost six feet. And uh, by the way, an eagle's nest is anywhere on average from five to six feet wide. They are massive. This, this, this picture doesn't quite do it justice because you don't have the perspective, but these are humongous um, nests, right? They're just humongous nests. And so uh, here's, here's why I asked that. How many of you want to take a nap in that nest? Right? I mean, look at that thing. That thing is like, I mean, there's branches, and there's all these things in there. And um, it, it, there's, by the way, when the eagles do this, they do like branches, they do sticks, they do thorns in their, in their uh, nest. And they do this on purpose because it kind of sticks everything together, right? It kind of melds everything together, and it makes it kind of lock together. So they're very, very strong, but they're also huge. But the truth is, that if you had to sleep on the edges of this nest or how it looks like right there, I wouldn't want to either. But I have a picture of the top of the eagle's nest. If you look at the top of the eagle's nest, take a look at that. What the eagle parents do is they actually, once the nest is built, they bring in moss and lichen and, um, and, and down feathers. They usually top it off with down feathers. They make it incredibly comfortable, incredibly soft for the baby eagles, for the eaglets. They make it just a beautiful, amazing, soft, warm place to live and to be born and to grow up. But then, this is why I bring this up. You know what the parent eagles do when it's time for the eaglets to spread their wings and get out of there? You know what they do? They do something very simple. They do something very powerful. They don't push them. You know what they do? All they do is they pull out all of the soft stuff out of the nest. It's true. They just pull all the moss out. They pull the lichen out. They pull the, 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 the feathers out. And they make that nest really uncomfortable. And you know what happens? The eaglets are like, man, I got to get out of here. And that's a good thing. In other words, this is exactly what God does. Now, I want to I make sure that our theology is correct. I'm not saying that God causes suffering and God causes pain and God causes loss. Anything bad in your life, God did not cause that. He may use it so that you can grow, but he did not cause it. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
Everything that is good comes from God. Everything else, anything else that is less than good, you know where that comes from? That comes from sin. That comes from this broken world. That's why in Genesis 1, God creates this perfect world because that was his desire for us. But then sin enters the world, and it broke everything. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Right? But that's exactly what happens. And so God, what God does is he does do this, though. He does not create pain and suffering and all that stuff. But can I tell you what he does do? He will pull out the soft down feathers to make you uncomfortable. Oh, he does. Oh, he will. And you know why he does it? Some of you don't like this, but it's true. It's because you need to leave the nest. You need to get out of your comfortable, safe bubble. Can I be honest with you today? Probably need to, right, since we're in church. Some of you in your faith are still doing this. You accepted Jesus maybe a long time ago, but then you haven't done anything else. You're still just doing this. And God is calling you out. He's making you uncomfortable. Things aren't going right. And you know why? Because God is trying to tell you, you need to move on. You've been doing this most of your life. And I want you to be doing this. I want you to be going around. And I want you to shoot. I want you to pass. I want you to move without the ball. I want you to screen. I want you to block. I want you to experience the fullness of life. All you're doing is you're experiencing this when I created you to play basketball, not bounce this sphere up and down. God is very simply saying, I am calling you out. I am making you uncomfortable. I have so much for you to do. You have so much incredible blessing in your life. I've created you to do amazing things, but you're not doing any of them because you're not walking with me. You're not growing in your faith. You're not trusting me anymore than when you first gave your life to me. We've got a lot of people sometimes in their faith-wise, spiritually, we're just standing and dribbling the basketball. When God created you to do far more than that. Far more than that. Are you willing to let God take you out of your comfortable nest and lean into what he's asking you to do? In fact, before I get to this last piece, let me ask you that question. What is the step that God wants you to take? What's that next step? Are you still just dribbling your basketball spiritually? What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to be? Do you feel like he's pulled all the stuffing out? You know what that means? You need to spread your wings. You need to surrender and trust where God has taken you. Now, let me just say this. Um, 
You know what happens with that family, Cornelius and his family, after Peter shared the good news of Jesus? They accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit came, all this awesome stuff, and he's like, man, I see clearly now God did not just die. Jesus did not just die for the Jewish people. He died for everybody. Okay, I get it, God. Thank you, God. Right? Peter says this, and then, I love this. This is just like eight verses later, so it's in that same moment. The Holy Spirit comes, all this stuff. They share the good news. They accepted Jesus, and then Peter realizes there's this moment where he needs to take another step of faith, not only for himself, but for this family. And you know what they do? This is really cool. I love how Peter says this, because you can tell that he's not quite sure, so he's kind of checking with the other disciples in this moment. Listen to what he says, Acts chapter 10, verses 46 to 48. Peter says, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And then he says, then it says, so he gave orders for them to be baptized. This was a huge deal. All of a sudden, these Gentile people have just accepted Jesus. God clearly blessed it. The Holy Spirit fell. And now Peter realizes, I know when we got when we accepted Jesus, we get baptized. Like, that's what we do. You accept Jesus and you get baptized. That's the next step. And he's like, does anybody object to this? Like, they have Jesus. We should baptize him. And so Cornelius and his entire family gets baptized. How cool is that? So you know why I bring that up, right? Because today is Baptism Sunday. And we've got six more people 13 total today, but we've got six more people that are getting ready to get baptized here in just a few moments. And this is why it's such a big deal, because this is a declaration. It's a public declaration that we are all in with Jesus. We want the world to know. We want everybody to know we are all in with Jesus. In fact, I want to share this verse. This is the verse that we're literally going to see played out in like 10 minutes outside, right? It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So literally what baptism is, is a physical representation, a visible representation of this verse. Okay, so when you're going to see the six people, when you see them, you're going to get into the tub, into the baptistry there, and they're going to be standing there. And they're going to, when they're standing there, before they go under the water, that signifies the old life before Jesus. Then we're going to dunk them under the water. We're not going to hold you guys down for long. Hopefully you've been practicing your breath holding, right? Just a minute or two, probably something like that. All right? Just kidding. Down and up really quick. All right? But when we dunk you under the water, this is really cool. And, and, and a lot of you probably have seen this if you've been to baptism. But you, the water kind of comes up and around them and envelops them and then comes back and forth over the cross of each of them. And it washes over the whole, uh, the, the whole body. It is just an amazing moment, a serene, peaceful, incredible moment. And then they, we bring them back up. And so that water signifies the purification, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has offered. And it signifies that. And then they come back up and they look very different. You know why? That signifies the new life with Jesus. It's one of the greatest things that God ever came up with was to get baptized when you've joined him. It's a really cool. It's way better than an initiation than like getting shot with a paint gun or something like that. Like frats or sororities, right? Or whatever. God had a way better idea. 
I've been describing baptism this way, and this is important for us to understand what's about to happen. Uh, I wear this wedding ring. This ring does not make me love Laura. This ring does not make me married. The ring has really nothing to do with making me married or making me love Laura. I don't love Laura because I have a ring on. The ring is the opposite of that. It's, it's the other side of that. I wear a ring because I love Laura. I wear a ring because I made a promise. I made a commitment to spend the rest of my life with Laura. I wear the ring as a physical representation, a visible reminder that I'm in with her. The commitment and the love is there. Guess what baptism is? Baptism is just like the ring. It's a visible symbol of love and commitment that's already there. That's why there's nothing special about the water. I promise you, it came right out of a spigot through a hose. And no, I didn't pray and bless it as it went. I did touch it to see how warm it was. There's nothing special about the water. Can I tell you what's special? What's special is the decision to get in the water. That's what's special. And we're about to witness that six times over. It's going to be awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give a couple of instructions, and we're going to head out, okay? So would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help everybody in the room, me included, to remember that the most important thing in our life is to give our life to you. We cannot just say that we're going to jump in the nest and stay there. You've made the nest comfortable for people so that they, it's as easy as it is to, to accept you, Jesus. And so the, the entrance to the table, the entrance to the nest is, is simple. But then you do not want us to stay there. You start pulling moss out, lichen out. You start pulling feathers out because you want us to realize that walking with you, running with you, chasing after you, growing in our faith with you is what you've called us to. You have great things for us, Lord. You have great things. You want us to see new things. You want us to see things that we've never seen before, power that we've never experienced. But we can't experience it. We can't see it if we are not walking with you, if we never leave the nest. God, help us to get uncomfortable so that we realize we need to spread our wings. We need to hit the basketball court. We need to stop just dribbling, just saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. That's, that's, that's a wonderful start, God. You know that's a wonderful start, but you ask more of us. You've asked for us to give us your life. We need to give you our life, everything that is in us. We have six people here today who have decided they're all in. They're with you. They want to follow you. You're the most important thing in their life. And they're going to publicly, physically declare that in just a moment. God, I pray that you would just give them a special moment. Remind them of this day often. May this be just one of those markers, one of those big steps in their faith that leads to a lifetime of taking steps of faith. 
Be with us, we pray. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, a couple of instructions. In just a moment.